you'll see on our website, like we talk about like cultivating shared learning is the language that we use, but we were intentionally using that language opposed to like education because we see education as such like patriarchal top down where like there's an opportunity for us to learn between each other. Mm -hmm. Like no matter where you've shown, where you've been, where I've been aged, like none of that matters anymore. It becomes an opportunity just like literally just sharing and reflecting of experiences mm -hmm. that connect us together. And I think that keeps people engaged and really excited. Mm -hmm. Black creativity is unstoppable. The Studio Noise podcast takes you into the studio with black artists and creatives making the art that moves the culture. You get to feel all the inspiration, technique, and passion behind the people making paintings, making sculptures, making prints, making noise. It's the Studio Noise Podcast with your host, Jamal Barber. It's the noise. Yes, it's your boy, Jay Barber. Every institution has its own mission. The board, the execs, the people working there is all towards that common goal that they lay out. And when the institutions, these sacred spaces that we anoint with our attention and acceptance when the spaces don't reflect you don't honor uplift and represent your culture then well then you need new institutions and today we see what that looks like with the founder and the interim village chief of the african diaspora art museum of atlanta adama yes as we say dr fahamu piku and stephanie fleming Adama is an innovative museum showcasing contemporary art and culture of the African diaspora. They're creating immersive experiences, cultivating shared learning and facilitating meaningful points of connection. And that goes from the Adama salons with high level conversations about art to past portal to the bridge residency. We get into all of that. Plus, we get into how to build an institution, the way blackness connects globally and ways Adama is looking to create a new paradigm for what a museum can be it's all that good talk <laughs> all that good art talk baby that you like right here on the noise studio noise that's noise with a z the voice of black art follow us on social media at studio noise podcast check out the website www.studionoisepodcast.com look for episode 82 with fuhamu that's when the first interview with him that was about two years ago but it's in the archive you can see it rate write a review on apple spotify wherever you listen to podcasts Get us up in the charts. Let everybody know about the noise. Check the link in the show notes to join the Patreon. If you really like what you hear, if you love how I'm building this archive of the best in black contemporary art, then go ahead. Give a couple dollars to your boy. You, I promise you I don't waste. I promise you I'm not taking shots in the Bahamas, baby. <laughs> I'm right here on the podcast having these conversations. You get to see it. So every little bit that you give. Thank you. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. This is starting a little series of episodes that I got trying something new. Where we're going to look at how institutions and art organizations are working with and working for artists and how we need to interact with them uh, to get stuff done. They make our careers happen. <laughs> That's basically what it is. And so we got Adama this week with this new museum concept. Next week, we got Kyle Coleman, who is the fine arts manager at Art Fields, an organization that's showcasing art. Uh, with a week long festival and award money, like real money, <laughs> real money to artists annually. And that's, you know, what kind of impact does it get when you win, you know, $50,000 for an art piece that you do? I mean, that, that's some major, right? So it's all, something we all got to look at. And then I'm heading all over to the Spelman Museum of Fine Art with their new executive director, Dr. Liz Andrews, 
Big shout out to Liz, all the work she's doing over there. And we're talking about how a museum as part of HBCU can define and promote artists, especially black women artists. Because, you know, we love our sisters over here at The Noise. Always support black women artists. Elevating those voices is super important. So this little series of episodes, I think is going to be really great. Right. And so it was something new I'm trying, you know, put a little bit of effort into it. <laughs> Got the schedules to line up. And so now I get to give it to you. It's a great discussion for us to have right here at the holiday season. It's about time for you to look back and reflect on a year and think about how you're going to go into next year and what's the new things you're going to do, how you're going to grow. They, you know, that's important stuff to think about. So that's what I'm giving you right here. These last few episodes of the year. And speaking of the holidays, what's a better gift than art? I can't think of one. Why don't y'all head on over to the Black Art in America Gallery, get you one of these special pieces for them special people in your life. They, you know, they want something a little bit better than them socks you gave them last year. Don't, don't come up with no, none of them socks, baby. <laughs> you can leave them joints at home. So go ahead and get them one of these nice art pieces they got. They got a new show up by way of Harlem. Uh, has some fantastic pieces, including this really amazing piece by Richard Barthay. This has a great story behind it. Y'all got to go check it out. It's 1802 Connolly Drive, East Point, Georgia. Go ahead and step in there and get you some of this good art for your house, for your peoples. BlackArtAmerica.com. Go ahead and support the fam over there. And now it's time for y'all to get back to work. Get back in the studio. Go ahead and call two of your art friends. Tell them it's a noise, baby. We back on and you need to listen and you need to work. <laughs> Do some work. Make some art. Have some fun. That's what I'm talking about. We coming back with Fahamu and Stephanie Adama talking about that good stuff. It's the noise, baby. Yes. This is Dawn Okoro. I'm an Austin-based visual artist, and I love to paint people with bright, vivid colors. And you're listening to Studio Noise. All right, yes, your boy Jay Barber, Studio Noise Podcast, the voice of black art. As always, bringing you the best in black contemporary art everywhere. We got my man coming back to the podcast for Hama Piku. We in the studio live. What's up, man? <laughs> <laughs> What's happening? What's happening? It's the man. So uh, today we're going to have a very interesting conversation. We talk about Adama, the African Diaspora Art Museum of Atlanta, founded by this man right here, artist, curator, scholar, all the, all the things for Hama Piku. And we got the... Interim Village Chief, which you layman will describe as executive director, Stephanie Fleming, with us on the podcast. <laughs> How you doing, bullet, Stephanie? Bullet. <laughs> I'm Stephanie. excited. Stephanie, also long-term listener to the podcast, which I'm always surprised about. Thank you <laughs> for welcome. listening and supporting. I appreciate it. Hope you enjoy the conversations. Now yeah. you're here. You're part of the fam. I've yeah. arrived. You're on the other side of the table. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that's always fun. So, uh, you too embarking on a tremendous innovative project that I've, I've been watching uh, being part of like some of the stuff y'all are doing just seeing what y'all are doing it's amazing like wonderful stuff I'm so happy to talk about it describe Adama in your own words how do you how would you put it Don't everybody talk at once? Yeah, no, nah, I, I, like <laughs> that's that's so wild. Like I don't think anybody's ever phrased the question quite like yeah. that. You know, um, for me, Adama is Adama is both a reminder and an affirmation. Um, it's a 
reminder of where we come from, right? But it's also an affirmation that we are very much here, mm. right? Um, and I think as, you know, as, a, as citizens of a city that has long been uh, touted as a black cultural mecca, um, even when I travel outside of Atlanta, I still, you know, experience people talking about how amazing Atlanta looks to them, you know, uh, as this black city. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, we, 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 uh, we celebrate Atlanta's position as this like black cultural mecca. But when you come here or when you live here, there's really no place where you can go and experience that, right? Like it's in the air, but it's not necessarily on the ground. Um, and so Adama is really about putting a flag in the ground, uh, creating a destination um, that continues to, or not even continues to, but amplifies that energy of the city as this cultural space uh, for black expression and black experiences. Yeah. For me, I think I'm really excited about, when I think about Adama, I think about like the healer. Mm. <laughs> uh, so much of the conversations that we've had like with the board and stuff over time, like even when I was just volunteering, like you all continue to talk about all this deficit language that we have around being black and the African diaspora and how Adama is doing the opposite of that. And for me, like beyond the mission statement, beyond the experiences and the programs, like there's real heart work. There's a real opportunity for heart work that's happening in terms of allowing black people here in Atlanta, black people in the US to connect with who they are through contemporary art and culture across the diaspora. And then we get to mirror that experience too, right? As we continue to amplify not just artists here, but artists around the globe, like they're looking at us like, oh, okay. So I'm I'm excited when I see those opportunities of it going both ways, you know, your, your tagline. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Everywhere we go, there mm -hmm. we are. Mm -hmm. But I see that that's both ways now. And I think that the deeper I got into this, the more I'm just like, that's... That's the real amazing part. So in, in terms of just the format of it being a museum and setting up, to me, it feels like you're setting up a different institution, a different type of institution where it doesn't have a physical place. It's more of a feeling, right? Museum without walls. Yeah. And so where where did the idea come from? Like, what were you, what were you thinking? What were you going through that made you imagine we need a different kind of space like this? Thomas brain. Well, <laughs> well, let me let me be clear about that too. Like we have every intention of being a physical space. We have Mere every intention of having walls, um, and even that that um, description of us as a museum without walls is not even something that I think. I don't think we even came up with. I think someone wrote an article yeah, about Madama and they described us as a museum without walls. Mm -hmm. And we, I, I think I initially sort of bristled at that because I didn't want people to just think this was like a, you know. Virtual only forever. Right, right. <laughs> um, but We're ultimately, going somewhere. <laughs> ultimately, I, I, I realized that uh, it, it really sort of lends itself to the ways in which we've been thinking about what Adama can be. And we've decided as a as a unit to really kind of lean into that. Um, one of the things that we've 
been very intentional about as we've thought through and continue to think through what Adama can and will be um, is this idea that what museums have traditionally done and been, particularly particularly as it relates to the black community, is not serving to us. It does yeah. not consider us, and, and, and you see this now in the fact of all of these museum, museums, particularly after uh, uh, the racial reckoning in 2020, trying to pivot and become more inclusive and doing all this DEI work and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this is not something... Uh, this kind of system, this kind of institution is not something you can like put a Band-Aid on, right? Yeah. Um, and so as we've troubled uh, who Adama is, a part of troubling that is about trying to reimagine what a museum can be, particularly one that reflects the black community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we are abandoning all of the conventions, Um you know, it, it probably would have been very easy for us to look at, you know, what this museum did to get started and just, you know, shade it, you know. Yeah. You know, make to, it black. To, yeah. Right. right. Sorry, <laughs> but we didn't want to do that. We don't want to make a black version of a white museum. We're right. trying to build a museum that is really for about from of the African diaspora. Yeah. Uh, and so we're centering ideas and philosophies that are not Eurocentric. Right. Uh, But, you know, African principles and African ideas around community and community building and and, and a community holding space for one another. Um, And so all of those things really sort of emanate from this idea of being a museum without walls. It's allowed us to be nimble and flexible and um, uh, it's allowed us to ask uh, a unique set of questions and uh, present unique challenges, even in the in the work that we're creating. Uh, But ultimately, all of those things are, are about building a space that will be sustainable um, over time, that we won't be 50, 100 years down the line and be like, oh, man, we didn't think about how to include right. aliens. Right. In our, you know what I mean? Like, we've, yeah. you know, we, we're, we're uh, thinking about inclusivity and accessibility and all of these things in ways that I don't think museums have traditionally done. And if we had walls, right, already, if we had... Um, or if we were based on a collection or any of these kinds we'd of... Be we'd by, be confined by... And things. I think that's the challenge that gets me most excited because I have a background in museum studies. Mm-hmm. So when I learned about Adama, I just wanted to be a fly on the wall. I was just like, let me do something, like be in the room. Like this was just exciting to think about creating this type of museum from the bottom up. Mm-hmm. And then I think just once I had the opportunity to get behind the scenes and learn like, oh, they're really challenging everything. And I think that changes it up. So many museums are, they're all experiencing the same problems for a reason because they're all following these institutional norms that have just been the case Mm -hmm. for decades. But when museums started, they, first of all, they weren't for us Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. they were literally just somebody's private stolen collection for the most part, (laughs) you know, for show to an exclusive group of people. And that just continued to expand. But I think what Adama is and what Adama's positioning itself to be um, is incredible for the soul, just for that ability to like rethink it all and center us. Mm -hmm. I like that because uh, you'll see a lot of programs and the problem with, Museum spaces as they pick up the D 
the diversity inclusion like thing is that they can put it back down yeah. whenever they feel like it. And you see a lot of places abandoning their mm-hmm. programs that they set a quote unquote set up mm-hmm. right. um, to address certain things and they never actually addressed anything mm-hmm. like from it. And so to have a, a place that is more focused on what we do, like in terms of cultural understanding of what we do too. And I think that's super important. Yeah, not, and, even, not only what we do, but how we do it, yeah. right? Like The internal and external processes mm-hmm. should, like for us, mm-hmm. like it's, that's, we're the center, both. Like how we function internally and also how we function externally. And I, I think that's the big differentiator. Mm-hmm. One, of, one of my favorite ways of, of describing it in the most sort of pedestrian way is like, uh, you know, we joke around and talk about like when black people go to the movies, we talk to the screen and we go to concerts. We don't sit in chairs. We're up and we're dancing. You know what I mean? Like our way of uh, uh, experiencing culture is is multisensory. Right. It's interdisciplinary. Um, and as a museum, these are the kinds of ways we're thinking about what it is that we are and how we present. Right. So it's like, how do we. You know, when when we do have walls and we do have spaces that people can go, how do we continue to create an atmosphere where those kinds of interactions are not only welcome, but are in, ingrained in the very experience of being in the place in the first, you know, in the first place. Mm-hmm. Stephanie, tell me about, as you say, you studied museums and stuff like this. Like, tell me what part of museums that you think are right for this type of innovation that you're thinking about? Like, I'm sure we can think of something. Like, what type of museums for for this type of innovation? Or, or any type of innovation, like, that you, because, you like you said, you're a fly on the wall, you have an understanding of the behind-the-scenes, board of directors type of stuff. And in the approaches, give us a sense of what exactly is being addressed, like, specifically, from institutions that we know to how it's going to be different in the way that you're looking at it. Isn't it like a specific example of it? If you have one. I don't know if I have a specific example. There's so many in New York that I think do a better job. I think structurally, there are some museums that are just really married to their mission and not willing to adapt. And I think that the museums that are willing to adjust as needed and like really move with the time seem to excel better and do better at like addressing their community. I think that speaks to like what you were saying about being nimble, um, Fahamu, right? Um, where institutions that are just looking to pick up this DEI thing or pick up any other type of innovation for a moment, right? I think that's clear and it's like plain as day is like that's not, that's not sustainable. Um, but I also think that maybe another, a better example is actually using myself because I'm a first time executive director, right? So what does it mean for an institution to select someone that's not done this before, right? What are the benefits of being able to say, hey, we want you to really rethink this and learning from what other institutions have done and maybe what other executive directors have done in an effort to course correct or again like center our experiences because all of these norms are so eurocentric right um and i think that's just a testament to like adama's commitment to really rethinking it all like from the ground 
give me an outline of of some of the programs that y'all have like listed in coming up. Um, so uh, this kind of takes us back to the whole museum without walls um, thing, but our uh, sort of foundational program uh, is an experience we call the Adama Art Salon. Um, and this was our first public facing uh, engagement that we ever did. Uh, it was launched in April of 2020, right? Mm -hmm. As the pandemic first started. Mm -hmm. um, and mind you, uh, um, the uh, board of Adama had been meeting for at least a year and a half, two years prior to 2020, like trying to figure out how to get this thing off the ground. And that, um, that long? Mm -hmm. oh. um, and uh, we had been really sort of laser focused on finding a, a space um, and being able to do exhibitions in a physical space. Very, very, you know. Traditional. Traditional. Straight like along this, the line. Yep. This is, must be the way it has to be done, right? Yep. Uh, then the pandemic hit and, you know, one day I was sitting around thinking about the fact that all these people were like, online like looking for engagement looking for something to do and i was like hmm uh we should do like a panel on zoom you know and <laughs> you know and i've reached out to a few of my friends who are you know curators and you know artists of literally around the world and so from the very beginning our very first uh program was international um you know we came from i think three different countries um, having conversations about art. Uh, and then we continue to do that every week, uh, every Sunday at noon. And the, the, uh, the chat looked like church, you know, like <laughs> people were, yes, talk that. Yeah. You know, like it was super hype and animated. Everybody was really, you know, enjoying it. We were able to do all of these like really great programs, um, uh, interrogating black art and culture from a variety of perspectives and through a variety of voices in a variety of languages. Um, uh, and it was uh, really exciting, but that's really where the whole Museum Without Walls thing sort of uh, was germinated. Um, uh, after that, we started doing other kinds of things like engagements with artists and, and, and finding more and more intimate ways to connect artists to community, right? So another program that we uh, did was called um, Midnight Oil. Um, and this was a series of curated music playlists mm. by artists. So simply asking artists, what do you listen to when you're in your studio? Put a playlist together and we share that playlist along with a brief interview from that artist about their studio practice. Uh, but it was such a dynamic way for people to like get inside of an artist's mind over and above them doing some kind of lecture or, you know, hearing them or seeing their work in a gallery. But here's another yeah. portal into their world. Um, and it was, again, super well received, very exciting, very innovative. Uh, and we just continued to kind of like, you know, push, you know, the idea like, what does this art thing mean to our community in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's not just looking at things on a wall, you know. Um, and how can we engage our community in ways that museums have not traditionally done? Take them off the wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, from there. Uh, uh, oh, let me say this. And I, and I like, I remember when, the, when they started. And I remember seeing the lineup of people mm -hmm. that you had, which I always thought was interesting to bring so many 
acclaimed black minds together. Swaggy line. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is is interesting to see because you you only either get that panel during Black History Month or <laughs> you, or, or you get it as one of the people mm-hmm. would be on a panel with three or four other mm-hmm. non-black mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. like trying to tell a black story mm-hmm. within this com- completely different kind of space. Mm-hmm. You know, so it did feel more like a conversation that you would have uh, with us, like together, like hanging out here, like in the studio, like we're doing now, mm-hmm. right? Like like we just like posted up and started talking. That's how we always talk to each other. So I always appreciated that part of it, especially during a pandemic when people were looking for some way to connect mm-hmm. You gave them a way to connect. That was that was not just a regular way, not just a, you know, Tory Lanez playing music <laughs> on Instagram, <laughs> but it was really like real conversation that was happening. And so tell me this, and Stephanie, you can answer this too. The presentation of visual arts starting with conversation, mm. what is that? Does that have any meaning to it? Because it feels like it does. Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, again, uh, you know, I think largely the concept of art has been uh, uh, presented and languaged as being like very academic, Mm. um, often very sterile. um, uh, And you don't frequently hear from the artists, Mm. right? Um, uh, You know, the work is supposed to speak for itself, but that is not our that's not a black experience right um and you know those those the 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 the, uh artists that you referenced um who were on those early panels like it's literally like me going through my phone like hey you know (laughs) i'm doing this panel and i like you know what i mean uh and so those are like the conversations that we were having were conversations that i have with those people, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, on a regular, it's not, you know, I was talking to Essay about this um, uh, before they left the other day. Uh, you know, the, the the things that she and her uh, partner who are um, based in Ghana and part-time in Paris, you know, the things that they talk about, those conversations. I've had those conversations that we have like in the studio or at the barbecue, mm-hmm. you know, in Paris, in South Africa, in London, like, you know what I mean? And with black people in a room, I'm like, people need to hear this. Yeah. You know, like, but it makes the art experience that much more richer. Mm-hmm. It gives us, it, it's, it's, the, when, when people talk about accessibility, often they think about physical accessibility, but there's also intellectual and emotional accessibility that's equally important, it has uh, um, uh, equal um, gravitas, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so, how do we, provide that and i think hearing the artist speak being able to see that this artist that created this painting that's super dope and you love it and you love the colors and stuff like that like that motherfucker plays spades just like you do <laughs> yeah you know what i'm saying yeah. uh and, and and when when people see that there's a different kind of connection there's a different uh uh, uh investment right from um uh, from a viewer uh than you would get if you went to you know the met or the moma you know, and the thing is just there on the wall and there's a security guard standing there. And you can't <laughs> Don't get, get too close. So yeah. close you know I mean? think that's what's exciting about the conversation, though, because then now you get the opportunity where it's not like, oh, why did you pick that color? You know, like it's not even to say that, oh, 
you're going to come on this like to talk details about mm. like every little aspect in your art, but there are themes around it mm -hmm. or there are things about you as the artist that or people experiences. are mm -hmm. interested in and curious about. And it's just an opportunity to like kind of bring them. I think we talk about levels a lot mm -hmm. actually, because like even you'll see on our website, like we talk about like cultivating shared learning is the language that we use, but we were intentionally using that language opposed to like education because we see education as such like patriarchal top down where like there's an opportunity for us to learn between each other. Mm -hmm. Like no matter where you've shown, where you've been, where I've been aged, like none of that matters anymore. It becomes an opportunity just like literally just sharing and reflecting of experiences mm -hmm. that connect us together. And I think that keeps people engaged and really excited. Mm -hmm. And it is different than any other type of talk you'll see at another institution, for sure. And I think to that point too, it's like, yeah, don't touch the painting, right? <laughs> but we can touch each other through conversation. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like yeah. we could touch each other through realizing like, oh man, you grew up in the project. I grew up in the projects. You know what I mean? Like those kinds of experiences make the work, again, more accessible yeah. than, you know, than it has traditionally been presented. Yeah. And especially that provides uh, uh, understanding of the context in which they're creating because, you know, no ideas ever just created in a vacuum. Like, right. you know, like you make the particular brushstrokes because of all the other experiences that you had have made you like come to this concept in the first place. Right. And so if you, you can understand that part of it, it does let you go deeper into the work mm -hmm. than just having it on a wall as, as it's pretty, you know, like, Oh, those uh, flowers behind that Obama is really great. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's more to it, yeah. you know, and you gotta, you make room for it to be more. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important because uh, oftentimes we don't consider or give people the idea that maybe this piece has more meanings than you think it does, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, and always taking stuff of face value is always like a way for you to be dead ass wrong <laughs> <laughs> in terms of understanding art. Um, tell me more about the salons, like how they went and how you think the it's shaped up like over time. Uh, so it's been interesting, um, you know, certainly as the uh, pandemic waned and, and we went outside again. <laughs> um, you know, the the ability to keep a captive audience on a computer for an extended amount of time mm -hmm. has, has changed a bit. So, Zoom fatigue is real. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, we have, you know, continued to, you know, produce uh, the Salon series. And now we are transitioning into doing the event live, which nice. is another level yeah. of, uh, again, accessibility and engagement uh, because they're, you know, because these events remain uh, somewhat intimate, there's opportunities now for people to actually be able to have a conversation with an artist whose work they admire, whereas they may not normally get that opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it does present some unique challenges for us, though, because, <laughs> you know, the idea is always that Adama is diasporic, right? So um, because it's, you know, in uh, a live event, we may not be able to have a conversation with somebody in Panama and Kinshasa and, you know, London. Somebody's going to yeah. be on the screen. Right. <laughs> um, and and so, time difference is real. But, yes. we, but we have, you know, uh, even when we do the live events, they're still live streamed um, so that they can still be accessed worldwide and, mm -hmm. and you know of course we uh record each event and and i think our viewership 
on the events after we post them go up more than the yeah. live events have been. Um, For sure. But, you know, again, it's one of those really interesting challenges. And because we are uh, in a place where we can be nimble, we can continue to, you know, do it and, like, figure out what works and what doesn't work and edit and adjust. And, you know, um, it's like painting. You yeah. Know? Um, it's like making art. Like, it's, you know, trial and error. So uh, it continues to be one of my favorite uh uh, programs to do and you know as we uh, have been um, expanding we've you know started thinking about having uh, you know editions curated by folks from around the world right um, who are responsible for pulling in the guest and those kinds of things and so, so that they way, get to look in their right. phone phone mm -hmm. right. <laughs> <laughs> and they always got to be your phone right yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I did want to make sure we talk about permanent. I'll let you talk about permanent. Oh, yeah. Um, permanent project is, and I think this is a good segue because we were just talking about like that accessibility to art. So permanent project is a really exciting model where we are taking work by um, African-American or African artists um, and literally taking it off the wall and just reinterpreting it through an original score um, original choreography, um, original live performance and visual experience. And um, it's been such a great opportunity where we can really take the work and bring it into a community that either reflects the work um, or that the artist has a relationship with and really become a bridge between where that art exists in its permanent collection and the community that it can serve. So when we talk about, you know, like the accessibility of the work or um, people even feeling comfortable going to, you know, a, a nice big shiny art institution and feeling like they belong or feeling that there's works for them um, and that reflect them, I think this is a great way where we can take this art and we really get deep into uh the artists, what were their intentions, all the things about the work. It's almost like a mini critique session mm -hmm. through all of the brainstorming, but to really bring out the essence of the work and the themes in the work and translate it to the community um, with music and dance. And it culminates in a short film um, and now a behind the scenes mm -hmm. <laughs> bit as well. Um, and it's a really exciting model that we're excited to do more of. Um, so it's our opportunity to partner with other museums with permanent collections and essentially it's a commission uh, where Adama and our amazing dance partner, Kamanse Dance Theater, uh, we get together and, um, you know, really reinterpret these works and bring them to life in a new way. That's awesome. Like thinking about how do you, how do you approach blending kind of those disciplines? Cause they are so Oh, it's different. so fun. Yeah. It's so fun. That's the challenge. Like people it, it, on the surface, it feels different, but, the the intentionality behind the way a dancer interprets a movement, um, the way a composer interprets a sound, mm -hmm. it's not very much different than the way a painter interprets color or a, a draftsman interprets, you know, a mark, right? Like mm -hmm. it's all about articulation of a particular kind of idea. Um, and... You know, and I think that's one of the, the again, one of the reasons that uh, Permanent Project has the capacity to be such a profound um, uh, bridge between our uh, community 
in the art world, mm-hmm. right? Because where I might not necessarily be able to, well, say someone might not necessarily have the language to talk about an abstract painting, they may understand that more through movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They may understand that more through sound. They may understand that more through the composition of a film and storytelling, right? And so uh, in that way, now when they engage each of those different disciplines now they have developed a new vocabulary for what they're experiencing and what they're Mm -hmm. looking at yeah and we've done this twice now so far so the first one um we did ewsn by radcliffe bailey um and then the second one was a photograph by dawu bay and i think i love seeing the dancers and I mean, every every person, a part of the crew, like really develop their own personal relationship to the work. And like, we don't even have to see the final film to know that it did what it was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Like we see that transformation just within the crew, just within the people who get to work on this project. Um, and the films are available for view online, permanentproject.org. Um, and we are actively open to booking for new future permanent projects and hoping to bring it to other cities and countries and spaces wherever anybody has a permanent collection uh, to really engage with. But I think it's every time we see it, like I cry every time. (laughs) (laughs) It's just that moving um, and to see other people get excited about an artwork that they've never seen before through this new experience, I think it's really exciting and it's, it's super innovative. Like I don't, I don't have anything else to compare it to. It, it truly is a unique experience that I'm excited for us to do more of. This is Kenetra Fletcher, Associate Curator of African American and Afro Diasporic Art at the National Gallery of Art, and you are listening to Studio North. New way of looking at yeah, it. New way of looking sure. at it. Yeah. New yeah. language. New. Yeah. New everything. Yeah, because we're always looking for ways to introduce people to artwork mm-hmm. and like you know abstract especially me for me it's video art mm-hmm. video art is always hard for me to sit and get and understand mm-hmm. and so if y'all want to dance to some video art <laughs> 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 you know how to do it but but it is like if you it's almost a thing that you almost have to be trained for in order to like really understand like mark making and abstraction and stuff like that where it can be intuitive and some people get it and some people just if you never explain it to them, they don't get it. And so you got to give them a way to envision it. So if they can see the kind of movement in a Sam Gilliam as a movement in dance, mm-hmm. maybe that can relate mm-hmm. to it. Maybe exactly. it's a one-to-one relationship that they yeah. can start to connect and they can take that to another piece mm-hmm. and like start to get it. That's exactly Nah, it. that's brilliant. I love that. Tell me about the bridge residency. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, so the bridge resident residency is just another building block. It's yep. like like Legos, like just continuing to stack on top of these ideas, but essentially uh, creating opportunities for artists from the African continent to engage with our local uh, arts community here in Atlanta. Here in Atlanta. Um, and so we just uh, had our first um, artist in resident for the bridge residency. Uh, here. Her name was uh, S.A. Atikpo. Um, she's a curator 
based in Ghana, in Accra. Uh, and she is, has been working uh, for a little while on a project that seeks to re-image the way we think about black masculinity through the lens of hip-hop. Mm. Um, uh, like one of the questions... That was right up your alley. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, one of the questions she's asking, you know, through the work is like, you know, yeah, we always see these rappers and it's very like posed and, you know, stylized, but like, what does it look like when they're eating? Mm. What's it look like when they're at home watching TV and just chilling? You know what I mean? Like, we never see those kinds of images, right? Which essentially is humanizing. Mm. Yeah. We, 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 you know, which is, to your point, very much, uh, you know, a core, I, core tenet of my work is humanizing black masculinity, right? Uh, and dispelling these, like, you know, flat one-dimensional stereotypes that exist around uh, blackness. Uh, and so she's been working on this project and she spent the, the last month uh, here in Atlanta uh, meeting with uh, local artists. I think she met with over a dozen Atlanta-based artists. Nice. She artists. also did several talks on several her own talks. with her and her partner, <laughs> which was really great. I mean, she did a lot yeah. within just one month. And this residency was also done in partnership with Via Albertine, um, which was an amazing uh, partner mm -hmm. to work with. The yeah. French consulate. Villa Albertine is a, 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 they're a residency without walls, which is a program of the uh, French consulate. And uh, yeah, they generously partner with us to, uh, to start this program. And we're, you know, gearing up for 2023, uh, where we should be bringing uh, over the course of the year two artists um, to Atlanta uh, to continue this engagement. Uh, but a part of it is, you know, very much, again, um, an idea that is central to what Adama proposes uh, to be, which is to provide a window into black experiences beyond, you know, our neighborhoods and communities here in Atlanta so that we can see ourselves. Right. Like, yeah. like again, like our tagline, everywhere we go, there we are. Right. Um, uh, you know, so I imagine the ways in which uh, an interaction that, you know, a little kid from, you know, here in Oakland City might have with meeting an artist from Kinshasa, mm. you know, and, you know, the conversation that they can have, the the ways in which that experience or that artwork might open that child's eyes to a, a image or a vision of themselves that they're not necessarily going to get if they, you know, are stuck in this block. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and when we uh, when we do have walls for Adama, our, our ambition is to 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 bring the world, to bring the African diaspora um, to the city so that, you know, you can walk to it. You can go there and you can go to Nairobi. You can go there and you can go to Botswana. Right. Uh, you can go there. You can go to Jamaica. Right. Uh, and in 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 a number of different ways, like you don't have to physically be there to get that experience. That's that hard work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So tell me about this because it's very interesting that she is not from here and ingesting a product that describes masculinity of America. Not of America. Not, wait, uh, yeah, yeah. That's what that's what I'm getting at. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Right where you was going. <laughs> right where I get that is that we're describing a culture that originated here, but is not of here. Mm -hmm. Like it's much bigger understanding. And this goes to another part of. Uh, as I keep hearing you talk about the international connections that we're making, uh, whether it's in Paris, whether it's in Accra, where the, whether it's like all these other places, 
Like, tell me how the idea of blackness and why it's important to show it as a worldwide like incident, not just a particular way of we mm-hmm. understanding it as it as a purely African American experience, but blackness is itself a worldwide phenomenon mm-hmm. that that we're all experiencing and that connects all of us to. Yeah, talk sure. talk about we that a little bit. We are a global majority. Not only that, <laughs> but have always been, right? Like the idea that what we think of as black is so much bigger than the very limited yeah. perspectives that we get through American media, yeah. right? Like, for example, is is a really great classic example. Uh, in 2008, I was able to go to the continent for the first time. I went to South Africa. Uh, I landed in Durban, and I checked into my hotel, and I turned on the TV, and it was a show like Yo MTV Raps, right? For a second, I didn't know where I was. <laughs> They had New York and L.A. hats on. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, And, you know, throughout that entire six weeks or so that I traveled across the country of South Africa, I went from uh, Durban to KwaZulu-Natal to uh, Cape Town, right, which is like going from L.A. to New York, essentially, like from coast to coast. Uh, And having, you know, all kinds of really amazing experiences with, you know, various uh ethnic groups um in south africa whether they were you know uh zulu or lesotho or or what they call colored which is like half black half white you know what i mean like all of these different conversations and again very similar conversations to the ones that me and my friends were have would have back home um I, i remember coming back from that experience and i started working on a body of work called world trade W-H-I-R-L trade, right? And the whole idea was like inspired by this uh, um, experience that happened on one of the last nights I was in uh, Cape Town. Uh, me and my you know, friends, South African friends, were going to a restaurant for dinner. And this, uh, this homeless guy, you know, he was trying to guide us and direct us to park the car and he wanted some money or whatever. But when he heard me speaking, he was like, oh, you you a real nigga. <laughs> and I'm like, nah, man. He was like, nah, I, wa- I want to be a nigga too. And I'm like, nah, man. We not niggas. You know? He was wow. like, no, no, it's a good thing. And I'm like, nah, bro. Like, we, we, we not niggas. And my South African friends are like, no, no, no. You don't understand. Niggas, it's, it's good. <laughs> I'm like, no, that's, that's not who we are. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, we not niggas, you know? And it was like, no, no, but nigga, like, nick, nigga, nigga, it's good. And I was like, no. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I'm just thinking in my mind, like, all of the ways that I was conditioned to think about Africa and yeah. Africans from the perspective here, right? And the way that they have been taught to think about black Americans from their perspective there and how all of these ideas are, like, we, we're exchanging these ideas about each other that are like misconstrued and oh, yeah. you know distorted and blah 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 but like being there right like gave me a different kind of sense of my blackness mm-hmm. right um and this wasn't you know my first international trip i had also spent time in um panama right uh uh and amongst a community uh called the cimarrones um and the cimarrones are descendants of the maroons who were africans who 
fought for their freedom and, you know, uh, 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 defeated the, the Spanish and took over this area called Puerto Rico, uh, and continued to live there and produce their art there to this day. And like all of these exchanges that I was having in different parts of the world gave me a perspective of being black that, uh, that made me actually, I don't even call myself African-American. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm. I I only refer to myself as black, Mm. right? Uh, And for me, this idea of blackness is a global um, experience. It's a global expression. There are little nuances and little differences here and there, right? But generally, right, we have a connection to one another. SA and and Salon were, were like blown away by Atlanta. They were like, this was the perfect place to come from a cry like we never imagined a black city in the united states mm. and this was just the first one <laughs> they, <laughs> not like, the only one. they were like this is amazing like that looks like my cousin yeah that looks like my you know yeah like those kind of like that that's why this is important that's why this the visibility is important and that you know and that's why it's important here in atlanta because we have that yeah right but it it still you know has there, there's still a invisible like Wakanda dome <laughs> you know um, that we're trying to penetrate open section C seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that that can lead right into pass portal. Tell me about that. Pass portal. I'm so excited about. We were looking for a way to really engage. Um, our community in a different way, right? So we're looking at international experiences through conversation to the art salon, through highlighting them, you know, maybe on social media, through Instagram, through the bridge residency, bringing them here. Um, and, you know, and even future exhibition or experiences that we might curate, you know, around different destinations, different types of art. But what is what would it look like to actually curate an experience in another country, surrounded by a major art event. Um, And this year we launched our first membership option as a museum called the Root Membership. And one of the kind of premier benefits, if you will, is having the opportunity to be invited to go on Passportal Doorway to the Diaspora. Um, And Fahamu has an exhibition opening in February um, in Marrakesh called Blackness, which I'll let him talk more about. Um, But that coincides with the 154 Contemporary Art Fair. Um, So we thought that was a perfect opportunity to have this first trip and experience there. Um, And I'll just add this because I got this question so much like, man, can I go on the trip without being a member? (laughs) (laughs) And it's just so much more than a trip. And I'm really excited for us to continue to like kind of talk about, and I think we need to like provide a visual of what that looks like. And maybe like after the first, you know, after the first trip, like people will be talking, you know, they'll, they'll have the experience and they'll get it. But I think that there's a different intention that happens when one, you're a member of Adama, you know, you believe in our mission, you're excited about who we are and what we're able to do. And for me, this trip is really an embodiment of our mission and of the work that we hope to do. And to have 
members, you know, people who really are with us, right? A part of our village journey together to the continent and have these incredible custom art experiences around African contemporary art, seeing ourselves and learning and unlearning together. Like that's our opportunity to do again, like that heart work, that impactful Mm -hmm. experience. um, And we'll come back even closer. And I think that this is really the start of building a close knit relationship with our most intimate village members. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would just say, <laughs> um, uh, you know, Pass Portal is exciting for me as well because, again, um, you know, there's there's one thing to, to, to travel to these places. It's another thing to be able to go and have these sort of like intimate curated experiences that yeah. you may or may not get to have if you just went on a regular trip or if you went on some kind of like, you know, retreat or excursion they're gonna take you to the tourist spots yeah. and then yeah, yeah. you know you eat uh, at the resort right you know and you'll saying? never know that yeah. people who look like you were <laughs> right, there right. <laughs> and so you know this is you know like uh past portal is really about like creating opportunities for you to have um uh intimate experiences um with local people with local artists you get to see these uh destinations through their eyes um uh and, you know, again, I think it will, will generate like deeper, richer, um, um, you know, exchanges uh, and, you know, possibly open you up uh, to ways of seeing yourself that mm-hmm. you might not have imagined before. Yeah, I think about we've interviewed like Graceland Haynes and like people like that have been to the Black Rock residency. And um, I know Ariel was over in Marrakesh too, mm-hmm. yep. like we're part of residency. And I think it's something about having that international experience that you kind of have to feel it mm-hmm. yeah. in order to in order to really understand like your one your connection to another place that's not here. Mm-hmm. And as much as we here in America, or I speak for myself, where I feel like I don't always get a sense of belonging here in the same way that I do around people that look like me, Mm -hmm. like even in America, like in some places. So like having a place to be able to establish that connection, I think is important for us to understand blackness between all of us in the first place Mm -hmm. and how much we're connected. So I really like that idea. And so how many of these trips are you like, do you think you want to plan for like a year or is it like something just very specific to events and stuff like that? Yeah, I, I, I imagine we would probably, I mean, it would be great to do more than one, but I know right for now, now yeah, it'll be one a year <laughs> and it will center on, you know, major art events. So like, for example, 154 is a uh, um, contemporary art fair of African diaspora art. Mm-hmm. Um, they do it in Marrakesh, Paris, London. In New York, um, uh, so we'll be participating in the Marrakesh edition. Um, another one that I have uh, my eye on is the Dakar Biennale in mm-hmm. Senegal. Um, in Accra, they have Accra Art Week. Uh, you know there are you know festivals like um, you know Carnival in in Brazil. You know maybe we'll do that one year. But you know ultimately the idea is to create experiences. Um, through the lens of artists um, in these various destinations uh, around the world. Let's talk about this idea of support in terms of you establishing uh, Adama as a thing, even with walls or without walls, right? (laughs) As you do it. Um, What do you want support to look like? 
like from people that are either volunteering, donating, like being a part of, like joining board of directors? Like, what do you want it to look like? I think we've created a lot of avenues for people to support us, right? Um, obviously, financial support would be amazing, right? And that's a, everything costs money. Um, but there's also lots of other ways, too, in terms of like in-kind donation of services. Um, and that's a part of the reason why on our site, you know, we've got like our board of directors, which people are open to apply to at any point in time if they want to serve in that capacity, because we do have a working board. It's not an advisory board um, because we don't have like full time staff or anything like that. Like we really depend on the work of our board to contribute and like do the day to day stuff. Um, but then we also have a tier called champions, which is are essentially I call them like highly skilled volunteers because they are thriving in their field, doing their thing, but they're so excited about Adama, they want to contribute where they can. Um, so one of our founding board member is a champion and they support us with graphics from time to time. Um, we have another champion who's an amazing marketer, um, and she supports us with email marketing from time to time. Um, so yeah, so I think those are lots of in-kind ways in which people can support, um, somebody wants to offer their legal services, mm -hmm. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's really, we're in the early stages, right? So a lot of it's almost anything, you know, it's like if you're skilled in something, there's probably a way that we can leverage it and utilize it. Um, but also if it is a financial donation, um, we're always very touched and honored when people consider uh, donating to us monthly. Um, I think that's a huge deal <laughs> to, you know, keep us, keep Adama a part of your like monthly bills of yeah. giving even $5 or $10 or $20 a month. Um, all of those amounts really go a long way um and then you know the varying tiers with like our root membership um and then our latest thing with the baobab society which is anyone who gives a gift of ten thousand dollars or more um think of think of it as a cultural rent party mm, i like it <laughs> uh you know this this like the rent party was a, a institution, you know, in our in our community because it was a way for us to support each other. It's that idea of Ubuntu, mm -hmm. right? Like I am because we are. Uh, you know, we could again, we could follow the roadmaps that exist, and you know, simply go after corporate philanthropy and mm -hmm. all these kinds of things. Uh, but we are very, very much interested in building an institution that is for us by us right um and you know the support of our community financial support of our community the professional support from our community like whatever you have to give like just bring it put it on the table it's a potluck we, we we'll figure out what to do with it right yeah. but um but don't feel like if you can't give one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, if you don't have a million dollar donation that we can't use it, right? Like we're we're trying to build something that has not existed before. Um and in order for us to do that, we all have to play a part that we haven't played before. Mm -hmm. Um and that's the beauty of what Adama is. That's the beauty of this flexibility and, and that's the beauty of of unlearning um uh museum spaces and unlearning institutions is that 
we get to build an institution that uh, that that is not rooted in our oppression or in our demise, mm-hmm. but one that is rooted in our success. And you're giving us a gift right now by having us on the podcast. <laughs> no, y'all are giving me a gift. <laughs> <laughs> this is, you know, just having, being able to have these conversations. I mean, I told Amu, like one of the few things that I actually get to have pure fun at. <laughs> 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 because art is so much work by itself. It's like this, having these conversations. It, it makes me more hopeful for like what is actually happening on the ground because you don't always feel it. You know, we, yeah. we're recording, you know, well, transparency we're recording on election day mm-hmm. and we don't know what it was gonna happen yeah so you know it ain't always like a good feeling out there <laughs> in, the, in the landscape so like but i like to hear like this kind of innovation this experimentation this kind of thought um and intention you've said that word a lot being put into like creating a place for us mm-hmm. and that's really all we ever needed was the place mm-hmm. right yeah. america has never been uh bereft of black talent yeah you know never been bereft of black brilliance mm-hmm. Um, have we ever been allowed to be brilliant in the ways that we could be? Hmm. And so instead of asking and looking forward and begging, you're creating a place. Mm-hmm. And so I like that. And so this is a question for you, Fahamu, like given the amount of institutional success that you have been uh, blessed with, right? Through your, through your hard work and the, and the power of your art, do you, do you ever approach or have you been approached by other institutions in supporting something like this or or do or how do you think they see it or do you get a feel for talking with directors or like other people other places um what's their response to you creating something like this yeah generally across the board the support the the enthusiasm has been um very evident people are really excited about the idea of adama doesn't always reflect in like a measurable Mm. Like support, like it's not like, oh wow, that's a great idea. Here's a check. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, but uh, I will say that you know people are really have really really been moved by the idea that that one of the things that is like maybe a bit ironic and and you know a, a, a tad bit funny is people surprised at learning that something like Adama doesn't already exist yeah. in Atlanta. Everyone's yeah. always shocked. Yeah. Like, yeah. They just run through. I see them like running through all the like okay. Yeah, there's there's Hammond's house. Oh, that's a gallery. Okay. <laughs> and then there's, you know, like they go through the things right. and they're just like, huh. And I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> it's not here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, just last week, uh, <laughs> I was in Columbus, Ohio. I was a guest of a group called the Maroon Art Group. Um, and they're doing some amazing things in uh, Columbus. Um, but they, a, a part of my trip, they arranged for me to meet with the team from the Columbus Museum of Art. And um, I was sharing, you know, ideas about Adama with them because they had a lot of questions about Adama and this museum without walls, you know, whole kind of thing. And like I could see their eyes lighting up like, oh, that's. Yeah. And, and <laughs> my friends from the Maroon Art Group was like, man, I, I wanted to tap you on your shoulder to tell you not to say too much because I hope they don't steal your ideas, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's, it's not a, it's not anything you can steal. No. Right. You know what I mean? Like uh, it's, uh, you know, and I think that. You know, again, goes back to, you know, a distinction between the ways in which conventional museums have positioned themselves as sort of arbiters or controllers of culture and destiny. Like, I possessors, I possess this thing. And in order for you to have it, you got to come through me. Mm. 
That's not what we're about, right? Um, uh, you know, our, our, our thing is not about possession. We're not trying to control the the gate to anything. If anything, we're trying to take the gate down, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? Um, and so, again, it, it's, it's super exciting to share the idea. It's super exciting to see um, uh, people's response. Uh, you know, we are, like Stephanie said, we are just now sort of like moving into the phase of like, you know, trying to like fundraise and, and build awareness and um, all that kind of stuff. And so it's very early on. So, you know, we are going to be doing the song and dance and <laughs> kissing the babies and shaking all the hands, shaking all the hands, um, and all but, the fist bumps. you know, but, but, but at the end of the day, you know, again, it's, uh, the, 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 the thing for me is, is this idea, like I am because we are like, we, we, we complain a lot that we don't have the stuff that we need, but we have always possessed the tools to have it. Yeah. You know, we just keep, we've been convinced and conditioned to believe that we have to wait for somebody to do the thing or give us permission. Nah, we don't need permission. Yeah. You just need to do it. Yeah. That's it. I love it. And so tell us, Stephanie and then Fahamu, the, what you're really excited about, about for Adama in the future. Hmm. I'm really excited about cultivating both an in-person and virtual community simultaneously. I think maybe that's the museum head part of me, but like museums traditionally don't do virtual well. Mm-hmm. They struggled. <laughs> all the all the institutions struggled during the pandemic. And as soon as people were outside again, they're just like, all right, Zoom's gone. You know, Um, (laughs) and I think that a part of our thinking was one, yes, you know, we'll continue to leverage opportunities to partner with other institutions and things like that and offer in-person experiences, but we're never going to lose the virtual, the digital aspect, because that also helps keep us rooted and connected to the diaspora. So I'm really excited about us being able to uh, cultivate community um, and do the same exact work in the digital space and in satellite locations even across the globe, um, as well as cultivating this community here um, in Atlanta and becoming that premier space that people are traveling all over to see. That part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. You know, I mean, again, uh, you know, one of the things that I think have been exciting to to think about um especially as we have leaned into the whole like museum without walls thing is is thinking about the ways in which technology will continue to expand and and be that thing that uh enhances accessibility to people regardless of where they are um and you know that 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 is super exciting to me as well like what is what does that look like right um and how do you maintain that in a physical space at the same time yeah. yep yeah i'll figure it out yeah, i know you will <laughs> <laughs> we go all figure it out together can't wait to see it tell them where they can uh, get in contact with with um adama and how they can volunteer all that good stuff yeah so adama tl.org um, is where you can go to our website, check out the village team page to see our board members application for that uh, application to volunteer with us. 
Um, you can also hit the connect tab and learn about ways to engage with us there. You can also reach out to us via email um, or through Instagram. Uh, we look at that too. That's Adama underscore ATL um, on Instagram. But yeah, we're always excited to connect with people or companies that want to partner with us, um, whether again, whether that's in kind or a check. Um, and then also we're always excited to highlight other artists um, too. So not just here in Atlanta, but all across the diaspora. So if there's any artists or if you know of any artists, uh, black artists, you know, drive in and, you know, make an art um, in other parts of the globe, uh, we'd love to be connected with them too and shine a light on the great work that they're doing. That's what's up, yo. And you know, it's the noise. Wherever it's black and it's art, you know, we there. And we telling y'all, you got to sign up for the newsletters from Adama. She ain't mentioned this. Yeah. So I'm going to mention this. Yes, <laughs> hey, man, go to the bottom <laughs> of the website. Put your emails in so you can keep up. You get all the art salons um, direct to your, e to your inbox. You get all the information about the bridge residency and the past portal, all that stuff. It'll come right to you. You got to sign up for it. Make sure you support. We always support the fam right here at the noise thank y'all for coming on you we appreciate y'all <laughs> yes this was great thank you my brother i appreciate you and that's it another episode of studio noise in the bag big shout out to stephanie and for Hamo Adama, check them out. Oh, I love it. It's the noise. Next week, we're talking to Cal Coleman about art fields. They're giving away big money to artists, and I want a piece of that, baby. <laughs> yes. All my artists out there, make sure you get up on your grind. Make sure you write all this stuff down. Make sure you categorize it. You got to enter this stuff. We got to make some noise. Yes. It's the art and the culture. We doing it. We live it. That's how it is. It's the noise. Your boy Jay Barber. I'm out. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Studio Noise Podcast. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Please take a second to rate us and write a review to make sure everybody knows about the noise. Follow us on Instagram at Studio Noise Podcast. 